0: If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, go to masterleadership.org forward slash podcast. That's masterleadership.org forward slash podcast for more information. Today we're speaking with Timothy Lubfer, author, speaker, and leadership consultant whose entire life has been a study of leadership. Timothy believes that leadership is the role of affecting followers to achieve the organizational goals. Welcome, Timothy Lupfer. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Lily, how are you?
0: I'm doing so well. Considering we're recording this at a time where we're having a coronavirus global pandemic, we are in our homes because mm-hmm. we want to get through this. Right. Can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? And how can we
1: connect with you? It's funny. I really feel it's been a lifelong journey and I'm in my late sixties. And actually when I was in school, especially in high school, I'd look at teachers and I tried to determine what makes this teacher successful and what makes this teacher not successful. So I was basically using life as a laboratory, even then, and then At the tender age of 17, I went to the United States Military Academy, that's West Point. That was a very quick and somewhat rough introduction to leadership because, of course, you go there to train to be an officer in the Army. And then after I graduated from West Point, I went into the Army, which, by the way, was the Army that was coming out of Vietnam. And quite honestly, it was a somewhat dysfunctional organization. It was very, very tough. In those days. It was a pretty rough existence. And so I learned a lot about that. And then in my career in the Army, I saw the Army improve, and it culminated in Desert Storm, which was an excellent Army. And I was very privileged to be in that, commanding a tank battalion in combat. So I have been in a crisis, and I think that's important for what we're going through now, because this Coronavirus is a crisis for a lot of people, and for a lot of people, younger people, it's the first time they've ever seen a crisis. After Desert Storm, I retired from the Army, went into business, and I worked first as an executive at Macy's, the big store, and then I became a management consultant and finally ended up retiring from there. So you can see I'm a serial retiree. I retired from Deloitte Consulting as a managing director. So I've seen leadership from both the standpoint of the military, which is quite a unique culture, and from the standpoint of business. And I've seen the similarities and differences. And I'll add to that, Lily, and I think this is very important. Probably the most important leadership is that at the home. And I am very thankful that, first of all, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We've been married 45 years. uh, So she's a remarkably patient woman. And uh, we have two kids. And now I see our children having their children which is a delight to see. And leadership in the home, the mother and the father, or whatever pairing it is, is a very, very important leadership exercise as well. So I'd say I've seen it three ways, family, military, and business.
0: Well, so first of all, I want to thank you for your amazing service. And you have a wealth of experience in leadership, certainly. So what resources or quotes or advice
1: has helped you during this crisis? I think the quote that I come back to is a very famous quote of Winston Churchill. And it is, let us go forward together. Mm -hmm. And Churchill said this many, many times in his long career. But the time that I remember specifically that he said it was in 1940, when things looked really, really grim because the British Empire Let's just picture that island of Great Britain was the only adversary of the hideous Nazi regime. And the Nazis had just overrun France, which was the great bulwark against the Germans in World War I. So basically, it was the British Empire versus Nazi Germany, which had basically overrun all of Europe. So I can't think of a worse time. But Churchill rallied people... And it's very important, too, that he rallied his inner circle as well, his cabinet. I mean, we're very familiar with his speeches, but he also rallied his inner cabinet and then rallied the people. And he did it by saying, let us go forward together. And notice it's us. You know, it's not me as the leader. It's us. And together, of course, which reinforces that. And it's also go forward. And I think that's a real key in any crisis. We have to see the way ahead. And it's very important in these situations for the leader to articulate the way ahead. And quite honestly, Lily, I think that's what we need right now. Right now, we're in a lot of uncertainty, all of us in the United States and throughout the world. We do need to hear from our leaders, what is the way ahead? And sometimes, to be quite honest, that takes a bit of a stretch by the leader. I mean, here's Churchill in 1940 you know, things really look grim, because the Nazis looked utterly powerful, their propaganda was extremely effective. And a lot of the British thought, you know, we don't have anything to match this. And yet Churchill said, our goal is victory. You know, he was unambiguous, he pointed the way. And this is what we need. Now we need to be pointed in the direction. I hope that's a decent answer to your question. It's more than decent. Let us go
0: forward together. That's certainly something that we have to sit with and consider that we're all going through this. We can't stay stuck. We need right. to move in a way that's uniting people. So when you think of leadership today, Timothy, oh, Tim. Yeah,
1: no, that's fine. Tim is, fine. <laughs> Tim is usually, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, Timothy was usually used when I did something wrong. So Tim is I better.
0: know. As soon as it rolled off my tongue, I said, I feel like I'm scolding <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> All right. So when you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are
1: you most hopeful about? This is sort of the foundation for answering your question. I define leadership as the role of affecting followers to achieve the organizational goals. And so the point is leadership is a role. In other words, it's based on whatever organization or situation, like in a family that you're in. And it's a role you assume. And I think there are three key elements to what any leader has to do. And these three elements are give direction, demonstrate capabilities in the position you're in, and embody character. Those, I think, are the three key elements. And when they all come together, that's when I think you have a capable leader and then in a situation of a crisis, when those three things come together, then I think you have an inspiring leader, which is what you need. What worries me today, and I think though this is a common human trait, is we do have people who actually are very capable and they can give direction, but many times they're lacking in character. And to me, character is the secret sauce. Character is the set of values that you have that determine your behavior. mm mm-hmm. And I think when a leader embodies character, that's the thing that connects with everybody involved, with all the followers the most effectively. One of the concerns I always have had is that we can have people who can rise to high positions and they can even be very capable, but they lack the character. And when you lack character, then it corrodes the organization. And so that's really one of my biggest concerns. But the flip side is, when I see people leading with character and I see what it does, then I'm much more optimistic. And I think that's why, particularly in my book, I say to organizations, being able to give direction and be able to demonstrate capabilities, the first two, that's the ante to be in the game, you know, to be considered. But the next element, which is character, is the one that's the secret sauce, and that's the one that you use in an organization to pick the people to go to the top. In other words, you make sure that the giving direction and capabilities are there. But then it's, okay, now out of this group, we pick the person with the best character.
0: You mentioned character. Give us some advice about how to make sure we're developing that as leaders.
1: First of all, as an individual, I think, you know, an individual who aspires to be a leader, you have to have a lot of self-awareness. And that means the aspiring leader needs to look at him or herself and say, okay, what are the values that I'm carrying? Because it's very interesting, the word character comes from the Greek meaning to engrave. And so fundamentally, by the time we reach adulthood, we've acquired the various values that are going to determine how we behave. And they can change, but it, takes a lot of energy and work to change in other words it's pretty set by the time we reach adulthood mm-hmm. and so as a leader first of all we have to ask ourselves am i going to seek immediate advantage or am i going to stay true to the value that's to me is the fundamental question in other words when a question comes up and it's a trade off is it an immediate individual benefit or advantage Or are you going to pick the value and stay true to the value? And we're all human. And we all fail at that, by the way. Nobody's perfect in this, you know, in terms of our own behavior. But you do have to ask yourself, do I have the courage to stay with the value when I think the value is being violated? When you do that, sometimes you can be very much alone. Yes. We cannot expect... Sometimes when we make this hard decision that everybody will say, oh, Tim did a great job here and he he made the tough decision, isn't that great? No, sometimes people treat you like you're crazy or you've made the wrong decision or you know why the heck did you do that? Mm -hmm. So that's what you have to ask yourself as the individual leader. And I think in the organization that selects leaders, you have to ask yourself, how do we determine the character in the people we're assessing?
0: You mentioned self-awareness. We need to continuously look at that. You mentioned inner circle. How important is it to create an inner circle? Even if you're just aspiring to be a leader, you're not even quite sure. You want to know more Mm -hmm. about yourself. Right. Why is having an inner circle important and how should you choose that?
1: Well, I think the inner circle, it's going to happen. And in describing this, I introduced this concept called Dunbar's number, which I mentioned in my book. Robin Dunbar is a professor of Oxford, and he's a combination sociologist, psychologist, who has looked at, believe it or not, primate brains and the size of the neocortex, and has looked at the different primates, of which we humans are, of course, primates, and he's found that there are groupings that naturally occur, but there's a limit in the number. And humans, have a limit of the number of these relationships of between 100 and 200. And basically what he's saying is, this is the limit where we have direct relationships with people that we can actually manage and keep track of. Beyond that, people truly are numbers. No matter what we do, and no matter how high we are in an organization, there's always going to be this smaller group with whom we have direct personal relationships with. That's the group that we're going to be having the most direct leadership with, no matter how high we are in an organization. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, we can broadcast to a larger number of people. But think about that. The people that we really respond to are the people that we have a relationship with. The number one reason people leave their jobs, other than to look for a better opportunity, is their immediate boss. We're always going to have an inner circle. That's where the real relationships are. And that's where the purest form of leadership is. Now, the higher we get, yes, you know, we can get on Twitter and we can do this and we can do that. But quite honestly, we're not having a direct personal relationship there. You know, that's just a broadcast thing. Mm -hmm. And so for any leader at any level, look at your immediate group of the people that you're leading, because that's really the group that's going to know you. You're not going to be able to hide too much from them because they're going to see you warts and all. And so don't think, particularly the higher you get, oh, you know, I'm going to be giving a speech to thousands of people. Yeah. And you know what? They're going to forget 99.9% of that within about two minutes. And so just understand that it's really the closeness with people where real leadership takes hold. And I think a lot of times, because we look at, you know, the famous people and all the influence and all that. We lose sight of that. No, we've got to really be careful about the inner group that we work with, because that's the group that really sees us as leaders. And they're the ones that can tell you about yourself. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes.
0: As a leader, you have to be open to listening to that too.
1: No, absolutely. And sometimes it comes direct. And believe it or not, when I was in the army, soldiers, they'd be polite, but they'd be very direct. And they'd let you know as an officer when you were not doing your job or where you- (laughs) That's right. That's absolutely right. And that's why those relationships are so important. You're right. That's where you get the feedback and you've got to be able to pick up on it. Hey leaders,
0: stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top-level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward
1: slash MLJ.
0: Tell us a little bit about your book. (laughs) I love it. Thank you for sending it to me.
1: Okay, well, thank you for the shameless plug that I will give here. Um, First of all, of course, we're talking about the USA. That's the United States of Amazon. Because that's, of course, where you get the book. And so if you go on to Amazon and just put in the book title or you put in my name, you'll get the book. And it's available on Kindle as well as in print. I've also established a new website because now I'm doing speaking engagements. And it's timothytloopfer.com. T-I-M-O-T-H-Y. And then my middle initial T. And then my last name L-U-P as in Papa, F is in Foxtrot, E-R.com. I have some podcasts and essays and things like that on there as well.
0: Perfect. Now, Timothy, many use the term lifelong learner. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now?
1: The brain is like a muscle. I know that's a metaphor that a lot of people use, but I think it's a useful metaphor. And it's something that you've got to exercise all the time. Einstein basically said, you keep learning until you drop dead. And I think that's very true. One of the reasons that I think it's important is that we do have to exercise reason and reason, which is logical and methodical is I think more difficult than emotions. Emotions really? are spontaneous. Yeah. I think emotions are spontaneous. They occur, they pop up. Neuroscience has indicated to us that emotions and reason are Utterly intertwined in our brain. In other words, we don't have a little part of the brain that's emotion and a little part of the brain that's reason. It's all mixed up. And that's important for us to understand because that means emotions are going to be always playing a role in anything we do. You know, we can pretend we're Mr. Spock and we're really logical, but emotions are always going to be entering into what we do. My point is, we have to be aware of that and we have to expend, in my opinion, more energy. To use reason, and to step back. And so that's why I think it's important for all of us to keep learning, to keep taking things in. What am I doing specifically? I really do two things, Lily. One is I work at foreign languages. Now, it doesn't mean I'm good at it. I tell people I can be misunderstood in several languages. So what do you mean you work on foreign languages? Well, what I do is I listen to language CDs or I get on the internet and I do things, one of the things called Duolingo, where you can help learn a language. So for example, my wife and I, now that we're both retired, we do a lot of traveling. So we went to South America. Now, my Spanish is not very good, okay? But I can learn enough to show respect for people, and at least show I'm trying to learn and communicate with you. And I think that's very important. One time in Russia, I was speaking some Russian, and this Russian looked at me and says, well, you speak Russian like a Lithuanian. (laughs) I don't think that was a compliment. (laughs) But at least I was trying. But the other good thing about foreign languages is it's real good exercise for your brain. It really helps recall. It opens things up. So that's a good exercise. And the other thing I do is I read a lot and I listen to the great courses from college professors all over the United States. I listen to them in the car. I listen to them when I'm on my elliptical trainer. And I love them. They're great. And I try different subjects. I try to look into subjects that I maybe haven't had since I was an undergraduate. So I try to keep taking things in. Love that. I had a teacher who was a Holocaust survivor. She had been in a concentration camp. Wow. She was Jewish, uh, originally from the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and she taught German. And let me tell you something, I think of her all the time. And, and I see you getting and, emotional. And, oh, I'll tell you. Oh, wow. And yeah, I do get emotional when I talk about this. The first day of class, she told us that she'd been in a concentration camp for like four years. And she said they stayed alive by teaching each other. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Did she you write a book? Not to my knowledge, okay. no. And she has since passed away. And if you want to spread that story, please do. Okay. Uh, because I'm she said that's how they stayed alive. They taught each other, even under those circumstances. So, you know, talk about lifelong learning. Wow. Wow. Well,
0: thank you so much for sharing that. So as someone who enjoys language, you know that words matter. Oh, yes. And especially nowadays, when I think of the term social distancing, I prefer physical distancing. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think you've got a good point, Lily. I was reading the prep before this, and I was thinking about what you had said about physical distancing. Another thing that I'm thinking of is maybe prudent distancing, you know, because what we're trying to teach people right now is prudence which means, hey, slowing down a bit and taking the course of action that may take a little bit more effort, but it's a little bit safer. But I think your point about physical distancing is good because that gives you a good visual. I've got to keep this distance between a person. And the thing is, if we can do this and if we can figure out how we can go back to work and still do it,
0: right. you know, which
1: is gonna which is gonna be a challenge, but we've got to start thinking about that. I think these are the terms that can stay in people's minds. And have good behaviors while we get through this. And we will get through it.
0: Because it's interesting. I do take walks. So you're going down the street and all of a sudden you see somebody coming your way. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, okay, do I go this way? Do I go that way? And it's really weird how we're acting, myself included. But also, I have intentionally made it a point to say hello to people.
1: Right. Yes.
0: Because it's so easy to almost walk in fear. And it's, mm-hmm. it's bizarre. So I want to make it a point as you're passing by, look at people and right. say, hello, even from a distance.
1: No, you know, Lily, that's great. And I hope the listeners pick up on that because we still need to connect with each other.
0: Yes. And
1: as humans, we are very visual people. Over half the neurons in our brain are devoted to vision. And so as humans, we need that. And your point about looking people, making eye contact and saying hi and smiling is so important. My wife and I go on walks and most of the people, you know, when we say hi, they'll say hi back. But a couple of people look just straightforward. Uh, We're New Yorkers. I got it. Well, I I was going to say it's, you know, it's like the advice on the subway, you know, keep your head down, pay attention to what you're doing. Don't look around. Don't make eye contact. Okay, I get that, you know, in the subways in the 1980s. But, you know, this is the time where we really do need to look at each other. And like you're saying before, if we keep a physical distance, we can still make contact. And that's visually. And so I just hope people take your advice and pick up on that
0: you know we'll see i mean this has long-term effects you know physical distancing also has long-term effects because we need touch um, i was showing you my dog before right she's a velcro dog but i think now i'm becoming a velcro human because i need that love no
1: you know, you're right and incidentally the number of pet adoptions has increased has increased yes
0: Beautiful.
1: Yeah. In the past few weeks, it's gone up. Yeah. Oh, that's great to know.
0: All right. So I have a bonus question and it comes from Fabian Schwartz, who was okay. our guest before. He wants to know, how do you best lead teams remotely?
1: Oh, that's great. First of all, I would say, remember to have periodic visual contact. And this is where technology really, really helps. I mean, think about this, if this were happening 20, 25 years ago, uh, we wouldn't have any of this digital stuff at all.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think it would be a lot tougher. So I would say take full advantage of what we've got here in terms of visual connectivity. Because even though it's not, you know, direct and personal, it's still visual. And that's so important. So use all those tools. And this is, by the way, what's happening with a lot of the schooling though. You know, in a lot of places, kids don't have computers at home
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: they're going to miss out on the visual piece. The other thing is to have periodic check-ins and maybe even open the meeting with just how everybody's doing. Let's say it's a business, okay, and you're talking about your team and you've got to get stuff done. You know, I fully get that. But I think opening maybe the meeting with just a check-in and say, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Maybe somebody has a funny story of something that's happened. Oh, yes, Um, we need to laugh. Yeah, and get that connection. The other thing is, I feel pretty strongly, and I say this because I've got wonderful neighbors who are both teachers in elementary school, and so we're talking to them about how they're managing. With this situation, the leaders have to be very well organized. I think it's very important to have good agendas, to have good structure, because when people are missing that social contact, I think having a little bit more structure is probably going to help, and so I think it's incumbent on the leader to step up and do that and say, okay, you know, here's our agenda for tomorrow. You know, I send it to you by email, and we'll have a Zoom meeting, and here's what we want to go through. I think it's important for all of us at home to try to have some kind of a routine. Because our very habitual routine has been disrupted by this. And we humans are creatures of habit. We do like habits. And so I think it's very important for the leader to give that sort of structure and to help people along and have habits and try to keep to a schedule that's predictable. Because the other thing that's happening is there's a lot of uncertainty out there. We as humans, we don't like uncertainty. We like predictability. And so this is where the leaders can also stand up to say, you know, here's the schedule for next week. Here's what we're going to be looking at, this type of thing.
0: You know, I'm very structured. You know, I do a lot of work from home, but now I have other people in the home and then we're being so restricted and rightly so. But what I realized for me is I was getting into a rut, even with my regular routine. So I had Mm -hmm. to shift it. And Mm -hmm. being okay with that, shift the routine. It may look different, but give yourself some grace and shift that routine and do also things that make you laugh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) things that uplift you. Right. That's important. So as a listener of this podcast, Tim, what are some questions that you would like our future guests to respond to?
1: Well, I think given what's going on with the coronavirus, one of the issues That I think we all need to discuss is leadership in a crisis, because I submit that's different from what we normally go through. And actually, that's a good thing. We live in an age where a lot of stuff is very routine, where things are very predictable in a very good way. And crises are actually unusual for us. But if you go back in human history, not too far, crises occurred a lot more. For example, somebody at my church pointed out that somebody asked Ray Bradbury, you know, the sci-fi author, what was the most important development he'd seen in his lifetime? And the questioner was thinking it was going to be some answer about, you know, automobiles or airplanes or, you know, something technological. And he said, the fact that people can live a long life. Mm and that that's predictable. And apparently in this conversation, and this is hearsay now, Bradbury pointed out that for most of human history, the death of a sibling was expected, you know, within an early period. And we're living in an age where for most of us, thank God, the first death is our grandparents. So we have not lived in crisis-laden times. So this is very different for us, and I think it's very different psychologically for a lot of people. And so the question I think we all need to pursue, and that I'm sure you're going to be pursuing, is how do we lead in this period of crisis? Because it's going to be new for an awful lot of people, both leaders and followers. If it's okay, I'd like to say just something about leading in a crisis. You know, I kind of have this little saying, when things are bad on the ground, people look up. And in a crisis, people look to their leaders more than in other situations. Once again, when we have things that are fairly predictable and that aren't sudden and unnerving, you know, our leaders are there and I'm talking about leaders at every level, but you know, we go about our business and we like our own autonomy and all that. But in a crisis, it's different. We as humans, we have a tendency to look up and this is where the leaders at every level have to step into that role. And it's going to take a lot more energy from leaders to do this. And, like the example of Churchill, one of the things is to give direction, which also means to show where we're going and show that the horizon is out there and we're going to get there. This is a new experience for a lot of people. Now, I'll be honest with you, Lily, it's not new for me because I've been in combat and I can tell you, you know, going into combat, that's a crisis because, first of all, it's all very unpredictable and unexpected because you don't know when the bad guys are going to show up and all this sort of thing. And the stakes are really, really high. And by the way, the fact that I have gone through that, it helped me out in business because something would go wrong in business and people would be running around using the expression, their hair's on fire. And I'd say, well, you know what? Nobody's shooting at me. So this is really not as bad as people are making it out to be. And so things could calm down. But now it's the reverse. And for an awful lot of people, this is the first big crisis they've seen in their lifetime. And so, you know, it's causing a lot of disruption, a lot of uncertainty for small businesses. It's wrecking havoc already. We really need good leadership and we need leaders who can tell people, yes, it's a crisis, but this is not the Black Death of 1348, which killed one third of the population of the world. In other words, this is bad. Don't get me wrong, but it's manageable and we've got a lot of things in our age with technology and science that we can deal with, and we can get through it. We don't want to waste what we can learn through this crisis. Well, that's the other thing. That's a good point, Lily. When you step back and take the really long view, epidemics are a part of human existence. We've been very fortunate in the past few decades, really, especially here in the United States. But when you look at human history, epidemics have occurred cyclically all the time, What I think really this is good for, this is our dry run when something gets even worse. And that could happen. So this is a very good exercise in how we're all going to behave and how we can organize. And I hope when this is all done, we can really step back and take the lessons learned from this and then really apply it going forward. Because maybe not in my lifetime, but in my grandchildren's lifetime, something like this is going to happen again. And it could be far worse. So let's also take the lessons from this.
0: Well, Tim, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Here's a hug.
1: Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Yes, a a virtual hug.
0: So have a great day and let's keep learning.
1: All right. Very good. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity.
0: In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.